It's series 14 of our media cast. Stay tuned for the last 10 minutes where we overview our current, future and past series. This one is on Euro 2024 qualifying. We're looking at Group B, Netherlands, France, Ireland, Greece and Gibraltar. Here we go. It's the International Soccer Preview by Soccer Files Canada. I'm Kevin. And I'm Connor. And today we are looking at Group B for Euro 2024 qualifying. This group includes Netherlands, France, Ireland, Greece, and Gibraltar. Yeah, we usually give some information about the media cast at this point, but we're going to save it for the end. So if you want some information about us or about previ previous serieses, serieses, like African Cup 2024 qualifying, which is still relevant. Uh, just stay tuned at the end. Uh, meanwhile, let's get on with it, Connor. Sure. So this series features a deep dive into the history of Euro Cup qualifying for each of the teams. So we'll cover the usual information. Yeah, let's look at the three sections we'll cover in this podcast. So in part one, we'll introduce the teams in the group. Uh, part two will be the longest part, uh, and it includes an in-depth team-by-team uh, overview of their world of their uh, Euro Cup history. And part three will be a summary and comparison of the teams, and we're going to end with a discussion of their prospects and uh, our predictions for the uh, games and right. the final result. Yeah. Yeah. So before we begin, tell me something that'll get me excited for uh, for this group. Okay. Well, in writing this up, uh, I found um, a lot of the teams kind of inconsistent uh, in their campaigns. Even France, that has won two World Cups or, or been to the World Cup final twice in a row, are uh, fairly inconsistent in qualifying, uh, especially compared to teams like Spain and uh, England. So uh, I think inconsistency here could lead to some surprises. Are you Are you intrigued? I am. Let's uh, let's get to it. <laughs> okay, great. All right. Well, we begin with uh, part one, and that's an overview of each of the countries here. So we'll begin with the Netherlands. Great. So the Netherlands, the Dutch, uh, their nickname is the Orangi or the Orange. Um, they have 17.5 million people, uh, which is actually the 12th among UEFA members, so higher than I thought. Um, and the Netherlands is a lowland country in northwestern Europe. Uh, that shares borders with both Germany and Belgium. All right, next is uh, France, a pot two team, by the way. Yeah, France, Les Bleus, the Blues. Um, they have a population of 65 million, um, so the largest country in this group. And they're also the largest country uh, in area in Western Europe. All right, uh, now close to our hearts is Ireland. Ireland, the boys in green. Uh, Ireland has a a population of 5 million people, and it's an island nation to the west of the United Kingdom, with the uh, Republic of Ireland comprising five-sixths of the island. Right, okay. Uh, fourth team is Greece. Greece, yeah, nicknamed uh, the Sky Blues and Whites, um, also the Pirate Ship, or the Piratico, mm. which is a nickname that came about in Euro 2004. Um, Greece is a country of 10.5 million people, and it's located in southeastern Europe, uh, sticking out into the Mediterranean, um, across the water from Italy to the west and, and Turkey to the east. 
All right. And uh, finally, we have Gibraltar as the pot five team. Yeah, I couldn't really find a nickname for Gibraltar, um, but it's a small peninsula jutting out from southern Spain, uh, where the Mediterranean Sea meets the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, the entire country is just 6.8 square kilometers, so it's minuscule. And yeah. to, to go with that, a tiny population of just 34,000 people. Wow. Okay. Wow. Uh, we usually do kind of a comparison, except I see that I forgot to put the numbers in on the uh, uh, on the YouTube graphic, but I'll do that while you're taking us through it. Yeah, so the biggest country uh, by far is France with 65 million people. Uh, the Netherlands, 17 and a half million. Greece, 10 and a half. Ireland, 5 million. Um, actually, even Ireland for 5 million is, is not a small country um, by European standards. And then uh, tiny Gibraltar, 34,000, uh, really dwarfed um, by everyone in the group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't know they were actually quite that small. All right, well, let's uh, move on to part two, the kind of the uh, history section. And uh, we'll begin with the Netherlands and uh, an overview of their participation and achievements. So the Netherlands didn't enter the first World Cup, but they participated in 1934 and 1938. Those are the second and third cups, uh, making them a senior team. Uh, and then after the war, they didn't enter in 1950 or 1954, but they have participated consistently since 1958. In Euro Cup play, they also didn't enter the first edition of that competition in 1960, but they participated consistently since 1964. So actually, Netherlands were minnows on the scene, either not entering as we saw, or not qualifying for World and Euro Cups until the 1974 World Cup. And there they exploded onto the scene. Then, and at times since, they've been a world and European power with two second place finishes in the World Cup in the 1970s, a win of the 1988 Euro Cup, which initiated another good period in the 90s, and another second place finish in the World Cup in 2010, followed by a third place finish in 2014. So these successful periods were interspersed with their notable absences from the Cup or even spectacular failures. Uh, okay, let's go to a World Cup overview. Do you want to take us through that one, Connor? Yeah. So Netherlands, as you said, was weak in the early years. Uh, they reached the tournament in 1934 and 1938, but didn't get past the first round. Uh, their return in 1958 saw them fail to qualify for four cups in a row until 1970. They thus came out of nowhere when they not only qualified in 1974, but reached the final that year and again in 1978. They were clearly the best team in the world with their total soccer philosophy, uh, led by their greatest player, uh, Johan Cruyff. After that period, they briefly sank back into obscurity, uh, failing to reach the next two World Cups. But that was followed by six out of seven Cups, where they don't only reach the Cup, but pass the group stage every time. The exception was in 2002, where they failed to qualify. And it has become something of a pattern for Netherlands to either excel or flop. Uh, 2010 and 2014 saw their second strongest period where they finished second and third respectively, but then they failed to reach the cup in 2018. All right. Well, they did make it in uh, 2022, so we'll try to get a sense of where they're at. Uh, but we're going to move on to uh, an overview of the Euro Cup before we embark on the deep 
deep dive. So uh, tell us about that one, Connor. Sure. So as in World Cup play, Netherlands was unremarkable until the mid-1970s, uh, where they reached the semifinals of the Cup. As in World Cup play, that period ended it, uh, as suddenly as it started. In 1980, they reached only the group stage that year, and they failed to qualify in 1984. Their second strong period was initiated with winning the 1988 Euro Cup, a success with all, uh, which also came out of the blue. This time, though, it initiated a sustained period of success with three semifinal finishes over the next four Cups. 2012 saw them entering a poor period, uh, failing to pass the group stage for the first time since 1984 there and then failing to qualify for the Cup in 2016, uh, thwarted despite the tournament expanding to 16 teams. 20, uh, sorry, to 24 teams. Uh, 2020 right, saw some uh, recovery, though, as they passed the uh, group stage for the first time since 2008. All right, well, now let's embark on the deep dive. Uh, their qualifying history for the Euro Cup. So we saw in 1960, uh, they didn't enter. That was the first edition. Uh, their first entry in 1964 saw them win the first of three knockout rounds, besting Switzerland there, but then uh, falling at the hands of feeble Luxembourg in the second round. Wow. Uh, yeah. 1968 was, uh, by contrast, um, a group qualification and the Netherlands went undefeated at home, but they lost all on the road. So they finished in third place behind East Germany. It was almost a carbon copy in 1972, but they finished second ahead of East Germany, uh, thanks to a road win, uh, exacting vengeance on Luxembourg uh, with an eight nil drubbing as well. Uh, 1976 was their first successful qualification and it came at the expense of Poland and Italy who all finished uh, within a point of each other in the group. Netherlands won, but still had to pass a playoff to reach the four-team tournament, and this they did, uh, beating Belgium twice. Right, well, that was a strong period uh, in the World Cup and here for the Netherlands, and it showed in an impressive 1980 uh, campaign. They were actually bested by Poland, um, who were also in a good period. But uh, apart from that, they won all other games, so they took first place over Poland. Uh, again, the top three separated by two points there. In 1984, they were really unlucky not to uh, qualify. Uh, they seemed sure to win after their campaign ended because uh, Spain would have needed to make up an 11-goal difference in their final game uh, against Malta. And that seemed even more unlikely when they... Uh, they Spain, that is, led only 3-1 at halftime. However, Malta suspiciously allowed nine goals in the second half. So uh, they went through in first over Netherlands, who didn't qualify. It does seem suspicious. Yeah. Uh, perhaps on a mission after that, the Netherlands stormed back in 1988, going undefeated in the qualifying campaign and finishing a clear uh, first um, in a uh, successful finals that saw them win the title. 1992 began with a loss to Portugal, but a consistent campaign saw them take the only advancing spot uh, in the last 18 tournament, which then doubled, the si doubled in size in 1996. Right, well, the 1960, uh, 1996 campaign was tight, um, with the top three finishing within a point of each other. Uh, they were bested by winners Czech Republic, who finished a point ahead, and were tied with third place Norway, who they had bested. 
But uh, second place advanced them to a single game playoff against Ireland, who they meet here. And they won that playoff. It took place in Liverpool. Um, and that was that. So they reached that cup. And in 2000, actually, they were co-hosts of that cup, so qualified automatically there. 2004 once again saw Czech Republic best them to take first place in the group, but once more they reached the cup through a playoff round, uh, losing to Scotland in the first leg but winning at home 6 0. 2008 again saw a loss uh, in Belarus damaging their campaign, but second place was, uh, was fair behind a consistent Romania who bested them, um, though the Netherlands qualified automatically. Right, well, 2012 was an imperious campaign. They won all 10 of their games except for the last one where they could afford the loss to Sweden. Uh, that was a poor omen, though, as they lost all of their games in the tournament and, and came into 2016 uh, in poor form. In 2016 there, uh, they finished a shameful fourth place with a record of four wins, one tie and five losses. Uh, Czech Republic once again topping their group. All right, so we'll move on to Euro Cup 2020 in a bit more detail. Okay, and you're going to take us through that? Yeah, so uh, the Netherlands exchanged away wins with group winners Germany, uh, but finished behind them due to a draw in Northern Ireland, uh, who finished third. Uh, second place in the qualifying group was enough to advance, though, to their first tournament since 2014. Uh, Belarus and Estonia, the bottom finishers. Um, at the Euros, they played all group stage games at home in a commanding performance, winning all three games over Ukraine, Austria, and North Macedonia to finish first in the group stage. As in 2008, though, the momentum seemed to peak too early, and they lost to Nemesis Czech Republic uh, in the round of 16. Wow, Czech Republic really seems to have their number, hey? For sure. All right, uh, let's move on to the... Uh, so now we're kind of in recent tournaments, so we're going uh, over their um, uh, last Euro Cup and now their last World Cup run in 2022. Yeah, it started poorly with uh, a loss in their opening qualifying game in Turkey, and it looked uh, like another nightmare having failed to reach the last two World Cup tournaments. But they only suffered draws in Norway and Montenegro after that and finished first in the qualifying group. Um, at the tournament, they were fortunate in the grouping uh, with host Qatar as a top seed, and they uh, easily beat them in game one. A tie with Ecuador and a win over Senegal saw them finish first in the group. A comfortable 3-1 win over, U over the USA paired them with Argentina in the quarterfinals. It all seemed over as they went into the last 10 minutes, but a goal at 84 minutes set them up to equalize on the last kick of the game. A deliciously tricky free kick <laughs> at the 90 plus 11. Uh, that game went to a shootout where they missed their first two penalties uh, and failed to cover recover uh, going out to the eventual tournament winners. Yeah, do you remember that free kick in your memory? I do. It was about Vekors. It was so, so bold it deserved to be uh, rewarded with a goal. Yeah, it was a great moment of the cup. Actually, there was an interesting detail in qualifying there. Um, uh, in that game, the first qualifying game that they lost in Turkey, uh, Burak Yilmaz, a Turkish player, scored a hat-trick uh, over the Netherlands there in their 4-2 win. But then in the return leg, I'm just trying to find it here, uh, in the return leg in the Netherlands, they won 6-1. 
and uh, Memphis Depay scored uh, an uninterrupted hat trick there, uh, three goals in a row. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, uh, that brings us to the most recent. Uh, well, the World Cup finals was the most recent, but uh, um, this was June and September, the 2022-23 UEFA Nations League. And how did they do there, Connor? They did very well. They were in League A, grouped with Belgium, Poland, and Wales, and they won all games except for a home draw with Poland. Um, so five wins and a draw has taken them to the, the final, the final four. And that tournament uh, will be played in June of this year. All right. Well, I got a couple of uh, good details for you here. Uh, when they played in Wales, uh, Wales scored an equaliser uh, at 90 plus two. Uh, but then Netherlands scored at 90 plus four to uh, win the game. And then when they met in um, the Netherlands, uh, Wales scored an equaliser at 90 plus two again. And Netherlands got it back this time at 90 plus three. As, as a Wales fan, I was hoping you wouldn't bring up those painful <laughs> memories. Sorry to traumatize you that way. <laughs> All right, well, let's begin or let's uh, finish, I guess, with a brief um, overview of their players. So on paper, they have everything that could be hoped for, actually. Players with their uh, top clubs in Europe and enough of a pool to choose from that uh, it, it's difficult even among these top players to make the starting eleven. Uh, quite a few of the starters are getting into their 30s now, but um, a loss of players through retirement won't be won't be a concern for the Netherlands for the next few years. Uh, what is a concern is how well the players meld together to form a strong unit. Uh, kind of an ongoing problem for Netherlands, wouldn't you say? I would, and, and during some of their failures to qualify for tournaments in the, the 2010s, it wasn't because of uh, lack of quality players. It seemed to be that that lack of uh, unity, uh, that seemed to be their downfall. Yeah, yeah. Well, we may come back to that uh, in the discussion at the end. But meanwhile, let's move on with uh, France and uh, a general overview uh, with their participation and achievement. So France is a senior team, um, having entered all World Cups except the 1950 edition when they withdrew. And they've never failed to enter the Euro Cup from its start in 1960. Uh, in terms of achievement, they have come in and out of prominence, but they're marked by four strong periods. Uh, the first around 1958 was led by Juste Fontaine. And the second in 1980s was led by Michel Platini, and that featured their first Euro Cup title. Uh, thirdly was around the turn of the millennium, including an afterflash in 20 or in 2006, that was led by uh, Zinedine Zidane and a period which featured their first World Cup title and their second Euro Cup title. And fourthly, recent times, which is not really defined by a single player, but which features their second uh, World Cup title and also uh, second place finishes in each of the major tournaments. All right, let's uh, take a bit of a closer overview of the World Cup uh, history. Yeah, so France was there from the beginning of the World Cup, but were not strong. They were knocked out in the first round of the first two World Cups and only reached the quarterfinals when they hosted in 1938. Their first strong period around 1958 was the weakest of the four peaks and saw them take third place in the 1958 World Cup. The second strong period saw them take fourth in 1982 and third in uh, 1986 World Cups. 
uh, while their third strong period had them winning the cup as host in 1998 uh, and finishing with the swan, swan song second place in 2006, uh, followed by a ghastly defense of their title in 2002. Mm-hmm. They had a second World Cup win in 2018, which is the jewel of a fourth strong period. In between, they were often weak, failing to qualify or getting knocked out in the group stage. The biggest valley was 1962 to 1980, where they failed to re- reach three cups and were knocked out in the first round of the other two. They also failed to reach two cups in a row in 1990 and 1994, but that was the last time they missed a cup. All right. Well, that is World Cup in a nutshell. And let's do a nutshell overview of uh, Euro Cup. So success in Euro Cup play quite closely parallels the peaks and valleys of their World Cup fortunes. France finished fourth in the first cup in 1960, although that was considered a poor result given they were hosts and third place finishers in the previous World Cup. That proved the case that they did not qualify for the next five Euro Cups paralleling their worst period in World Cup history. A good showing in the 1982 World Cup initiated the Platini years, and Euro 1984 saw them host again and win the title. Another lull followed and awaiting the Zidane era, um, and, and another hosting to pull them out. That was the 1998 World Cup, which they won, and that form carried into the Euro 2000, uh, where they earned their second Euro title. A relative lull followed, bottoming in 2008 uh, with a group stage exit, but a second place finish in Euro 2016 initiated a fourth strong period in their history. All right. Well, let's take a look at the Euro Cup uh, qualifying history in detail. That's our deep dive for this series. And uh, in the early years of the Cup, all teams went through qualifying, and then the host was chosen from among the, the top four. So they did host, but it was only after besting Greece in a first qualification knockout round and then beating Austria twice in the second one. Uh, They did poorly in the cup, though, and they didn't reach it again until uh, 1984. But let's look at the qualification runs. 1964 was three knockout rounds, and they bested England in the first, one on aggregate after exchanging home with, with Bulgaria, but lost both legs to Hungary in the third. 1968 saw the first group stage, which they won, despite being bested by Belgium, but that did not qualify them for the Cup. A final playoff round saw them bested by Yugoslavia, losing 5-1 in the away leg. Oof. Uh, Okay, I was off on my graphics there on our YouTube version, but I'm back to 1972, which was a third-place finish in the group stage behind uh, Hungary and Bulgaria. And 1976 was worse yet, winning only one game and finishing behind uh, Belgium and East Germany, tying both of those at home. Uh, 1980 was better, uh, but a home draw with Sweden in their opener and a loss in Czechoslovakia was only good enough for second place and not enough to see them through to the tournament, uh, which had now expanded to eight teams. It, would, it was hosting that earned them passage in 1984, and 1988 was uncannily similar to 1976. A single win over Iceland, this time over eight games, and a third-place finish behind East Germany. 1992 marked their first uh, earned qualification since 1960, and they did it in style, winning all games to finish in first, six points ahead of Czechoslovakia and ten points ahead of Spain back when wins earned only two points. 
It was an impressive run in the middle of two failed World Cup qualification campaigns. All right. Well, 1996 uh, was also an undefeated campaign, but less impressive in that they tied half of their games. Uh, that actually left them one point behind Romania in that six, uh, 16 group. Uh, but an automatic qualification spot nonetheless, because the tournament had now expanded to 16 teams. Halfway through qualification for Euro 2000, they suffered their first loss in qualifying since the 1988 campaign. But they finished first in a tight group, one point ahead of Ukraine, who they twi uh, tied twice, and two points ahead of Russia. 2004, like 1992, saw them winning all games. They finished 10 points ahead of second place Slovenia, who themselves were coming, uh, themselves were coming off a successful World Cup qualification. Right, well, 2008 was a second place finish, um, this time in a seven team, a, seven, a group of seven. Uh, they lost both games to Scotland, which cost them first place. Uh, it was Italy who had bested them that topped the group, uh, but France nevertheless qualified directly with their second place finish. 2012 began uh, with a loss in Belarus, uh, and they tied the fourth place finisher at home later in the campaign. Otherwise, France was consistent enough to take first place, one point ahead of Bosnia-Herzegovina. Uh, hosting earned them automatic qualification in 2016, and uh, coming off a World Cup win in 2018, um, we'll take a look at how they did in 2020. All right, my graphics are a bit messed up there, but we'll just move on. And uh, yeah, take a closer look at the 2020 uh, campaign. Uh, take us through it. So France was bested by second place Turkey, uh, but won all other games to finish first in their qualifying group, Iceland, Albania, Andorra, and Moldova, the competition. Uh, in the tournament, France won their opener over Germany, but then tied Hungary and Portugal. But this was enough to finish first in a very tough group stage. France then lost to Switzerland in the round of 16 uh, after seemingly having the game in hand, uh, but falling to two late goals, which ultimately forced a penalty shootout, uh, which they lost. Yeah, that was a pretty exciting game. Uh, Switzerland missed a penalty uh, in, that, uh, in that game there. And, uh, okay, well, let's go uh, look at the next tournament they played in, the 2022 World Cup. All right. Uh, France tied uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina at home and tied Ukraine twice, but finished six points ahead of the latter for an easy first place in the qualifying group. Uh, they easily beat uh, Australia in their opener at the tournament, uh, despite being surprised by an early goal again, um, and then beat Denmark. They fielded a B team for their third game against Tunisia and lost, um, apparently equalizing at the very end only for the goal to be ruled out by a quirky offside decision. It made no difference as they still finished first in the group stage and went on to beat Poland, England, and Morocco to reach the final. In one of the most thrilling finals, uh, they played like zombies for 80 minutes until they scored two equalizers. Um, each team scored an extra time, uh, but Argentina were deserved winners in a penalty shootout. Kylian Mbappe scoring a hat-trick in a losing endeavor, um, but France were still uh, World Cup runners-up. Yeah, that was uh, that was quite a final, wasn't it? 
Yeah, one of the best games of the tournament and surely one of the best finals. Do you remember how poor they were though in the in the basically up to the 80 minute mark? I reviewed it uh, not long ago and I and I was just shocked like they were I laughed when you said zombies but it's a, it's an apt description. Yeah, I do. I they they really didn't seem to have any urgency until kind of a couple moments of Mbappe brilliance really bailed them out in the game. They really didn't play that well in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the end I felt Argentina was more deserving there. Okay, well, let's look and see how they did in their 2022-23 UEFA Nations League campaign. Yeah, France uh, started with um, a loss at home to Denmark. That was followed by draws in Croatia and Australia, and then a home loss to Croatia. Austria. Um, uh, 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 Sorry, sorry. Australia, yeah. Austria, yes. So it took France until their fifth match of six for their one and only win, a home uh, a home win over Austria, and they lost in Denmark in their final match to finish a disappointing third. Uh, that's in League A, um, eight points back of group winners Croatia. Yeah, they were lucky not to be relegated there, like England. Yeah, just a point ahead of Austria, who finished bottom, a point below them. Yeah, so that was actually the record they went into the uh, World Cup with. So it was kind of a bad note to uh, to go into the World Cup with, hey? Yeah, um, especially because they met Denmark, a team which beat them twice um, in the Nations League, though, though France uh, was able to get the better of them uh, in Qatar. Yeah, well done. Oh, speaking of which, show us your shirt. That's, uh, that is a Qatar shirt. We can't right. really see it on the screen. Woohoo! Yeah, World Cup 2022. I got to get me one of those. Okay, well, we're finished with uh, just kind of a, a an, an overview of their players. So, uh, goalkeeper Ugo Lloris, uh, he's 36 years old. He has 145 caps. And uh, the other, the backup keeper, Steve Mandela, he's 38 years old with just 35 caps. Uh, they are both listed as retired. Uh, the three keepers selected for the March 2023 games have 12 caps among them. Three keepers, 12 caps. Otherwise, uh, only Karim ben Benzema and it seems Rafael Varane, even though he's just 29 years old, are also lifted as, listed as retired. But the ever young Olivier Giroud is still going. Do you know how old he is? Of late 30s? Yeah, well, 36, maybe not as old as I thought, but um, uh, he's still uh, playing. I believe he played the March games. Uh, I looked at the uh, squad list, but I don't know the results. Uh, anyway, the rest of the squad is mostly quite young, and some young players became more integrated into the team over the 2022 World Cup. Uh, and beyond that, they, they have a seeming, seemingly limitless pool to draw upon. Uh, any comments on the French squad, Connor? Yeah, despite um, you know some some experienced players aging out, there's so many good players for France to choose from, and and a lot of them did get opportunities in the World Cup. Players like Shimeni Mbappe, who we know about. Um, so yeah, I think France will will remain strong. I think so. Yeah, I think uh, uh, using a lot of those young players in the World Cup gives them maybe a leg up over uh, some teams that were relying on their uh, veteran players. You know. Okay, let's move on to our third team, uh, Ireland. Um, Connor and I are both Irish. Uh, I wasn't born there. My parents were born there, but we kind of have an affinity to Ireland. That's right. 
All right. Well, Ireland is a senior team. Uh, few, uh, few teams have the consistency of their record of participation. They didn't enter the first World Cup in 1930, but uh, are one of the only teams to have entered all others. They also joined the first Euro Cup in 1960 and have never failed to compete. Uh, in other words, they have entered all competitions except the 1930 uh, World Cup. Uh, Ireland is a history of coming close which we'll get into. Uh, their success in the World Cup is limited to three successful qualifications starting in 1990. However, they pass to the second round uh, or higher every time. A quarterfinal finish in 1990 remains their best result. And it is also three successful qualifications for the Euro Cup, but in this case, they have passed the group stage only once, and that was in 2016. Let's take a bit of a closer look at their World Cup in an overview. Yeah, so despite their good record of entering since 1934, it took until 1990 to reach their first uh, World Cup finals. Despite three ties in the group stage there, they went on to their best finish. Uh, it proved a good period as they reached the next cup in 1994. It was only eight years later when they reached their third, getting to the round of 16 in both. Otherwise, they have been uh, within a short step of qualifying in eight campaigns beyond that, most famously in 2010, where a handball saw France scoring uh, the goal they needed to advance to the World Cup uh, in a playoff. Well, I have a sudden flash of anger at the memory of that. <laughs> they, they have their chance for revenge here. I wonder, uh, we'll have to see in the head-to-head -head if they played France since then, do yeah. you know? Do you know yeah, if they I, have or? I don't recall. I'll have to look. Yeah, me neither. Okay, uh, Euro Cup. Let's take an overview of that uh, before the deep dive. Yeah, so their record is worse in Euro Cup qualification, uh, where they've qualified only three times uh, in 1988 and then recently in 2012 and 2016. They were knocked out of, uh, in the first round in the first two tournaments and were lucky to pass in 2016, uh, getting knocked out in the round of 16. Again, they came close several times, reaching the playoff in 1996 and 2000, but failing to advance and finishing, finishing uh, one short of the qualifying spot two times uh, other than that. Uh, 2020 uh, seems close, reaching a playoff round, um, but they lost in the first of two rounds, so we're disappointingly far cry from the cup, and we'll take another look at that uh, shortly. Right, because it's fairly recent, uh, but we're going to go right back to the beginning of Euro uh, Cup qualifying. So they did participate in the Euro Cup in 1960, the first edition, but they were out in one game, a 0-4 loss at the hands of uh, Czechoslovakia, who finished uh, third in the tournament. Um, I guess that their first game made it impossible for them in the second. Uh, in 1964... Uh, they passed the first two knockout rounds of three, but it was all over when they lost in the final round to Spain. And then 1968 began a kind of group qualification, and they tied Spain at home there and beat Czechoslovakia away, which spoiled their campaign. Uh, however, for Ireland, it was only enough for a third place finish. 1972 was weak. They earned a home draw with Sweden in their opener, but lost all subsequent games to finish last in the group of four. In 1976, though, they won all home games and finished second, just two points separating first place Russia and third place Turkey. 
Second, however, was not enough to reach uh, the last tournament that would be made up of four teams. Right. Uh, with the expansion to eight teams in 1980, um, it didn't help, actually. Uh, they were again undefeated at home and there were too many draws. And a single point on the road meant the third place finish behind uh, England and Northern Ireland. A bit of a blow to national pride there in a time of conflict. Uh, 1984 was also third in an unremarkable campaign. Um, but 1988 saw them reach their first cup. Suffering only a single loss in Bulgaria, they finished first in a group where the top four were separated by only two points. Three draws uh, made it close, but consistency uh, saw them through. Right, well, they were undefeated in the 1992 campaign, uh, tying England and Poland in all of their games, but uh, finishing second behind England, again, a tight uh, finish with the top three separated by only two points. Second place was not enough to reach the tournament. This was the last one uh, of eight teams. Second place in 1996, though, was an advancing position for the tournament, expanded now to 16 teams. Uh, there they finished in second, and that brought them to a single-game playoff, uh, which Ireland lost to the Netherlands. Oh. Uh, 2000 uh, saw them winning all home games, but a tie in Macedonia in the last game cost dearly as they finished one point behind Yugoslavia. They twice tied Turkey in the playoffs, but they were edged out on away goals. 2004 was a weak campaign, uh, finishing third in their group. But 2008 was better uh, for the same results. Uh, there, they finished 10 points behind second place uh, Germany, but ahead of four teams separated by three points in that large seven-team group. 2012 saw them back in the playoffs, uh, finishing second behind Russia, who bested them. They advanced to a playoff with Estonia, who they bested to reach the Cup, their first appearance since 1988. With the 2016 Cup expanding to 24 teams, a third place finish behind Germany and Poland was enough to advance to a playoff where they bested Bosnia-Herzegovina to reach their, their third cup and second in a row. Right, and uh, we won't overview 2020 because we're going to take a close look at that cup, but I think we've, uh, we've kind of justified uh, us saying that they were an almost team or if they do make it, it's usually through a playoff. Absolutely, yeah, lots of playoffs and lots of third place finishes in their history. Yeah. Let's see how they did in 2020. Well, carrying on with the theme, yeah, they lost uh, only away to group winner Switzerland, but too many draws saw them finish third in the qualifying group, behind Denmark, who they tied twice, but ahead of Georgia, uh, who they bested, and Gibraltar, uh, who they beat twice. Uh, nevertheless, uh, they qualified for a playoff due to their performance in the 2019-20 Euro Nations League, uh, but they lost at the first hurdle. That was a semi-final. Um, against Slovakia, uh, losing on penalties. Right, they went scoreless in the game and lost on penalties. All right, well, on to the uh, World Cup uh, campaign. How did they do there? Uh, they got off to a really poor start, including a home loss to Luxembourg um, and a home draw with Azerbaijan. Um, but they finished more strongly with home draws with, uh, with Serbia and Portugal. Um, that and an infusion of new players gives them far more hope going forward. Um, but the improvement needed left them third in the qualifying group.
but far short of Portugal in second. Uh, Ireland finished with a record of two wins, three draws, and three losses. Right, and we'll look at that infusion of players uh, shortly here. Uh, but before we do that, we'll take a look at how they did in the 2022-23 UEFA Nations League. Yeah, so Ireland were in Group B, um, paired with uh, Armenia, uh, Ukraine, and Scotland. Um, and Ireland started with a loss in Armenia and followed that up with a loss at home to, to Ukraine, which gave them kind of a mountain to climb. Mm -hmm. uh, they did manage uh, to win their remaining two home games, um, but Ireland manages seven points from their six games, so that had them in third. So they'll remain in Group B uh, for the next edition. Yeah, or League B. League there. B, yeah. Yeah, anyway, uh, we mentioned an infusion of players, so let's finish with a, a quick look at uh, how their squad looked. So they have a couple of bigger names in Seamus Coleman uh, with Everton and Matt Doherty, who's now with Atletico Madrid, uh, both of them defenders. They really haven't had bigger names than that in recent times. Uh, goalkeeper, uh, goalkeepers do seem to be a strong point uh, with young Bazunu. He's 21 years old. He's Southampton's uh, starting keeper now, right? Yeah. And uh, Mark Travers, 23-year-old, uh, with Bournemouth. Is he the starting keeper for them? Not currently, no. Yeah, not currently. But I have seen him play. Uh, anyway, both of those in the Premier League. So most players are with lower-tier uh, lower clubs in England, uh, like Wolves, Burnley, Stoke and Norwich and so on. Uh, they do have some interesting youth coming through, though. Uh, Evan Ferguson, uh, just 18 years old with Brighton, is doing quite well. And Kelleher, I don't know if you knew this, uh, I didn't, a 24-year-old goal goalkeeper for Liverpool, yeah, he's played for them a couple times. Oh, okay. And uh, one interesting one, 20-year-old uh, uh, Festi Ibosali, uh, who's with Udinese in Italy. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. Yeah, just 20 years old, so maybe coming into the picture. Uh, it doesn't seem that the squad offers a lot of great promise going forward, but uh, I am excited with uh, Evan Ferguson because Ireland's problem has been at the front scoring goals. We see here that uh, defence looks pretty good, but what we're really kind of hoping to see is uh, a bit of attack. Yeah, Ferguson is probably the, the brightest spot of them all just because we need... Uh... Like you said, Ireland needs someone who can put the ball in the net. They've been lacking that for years, arguably since uh, Robbie Keane retired. Yeah, I'm interested to see. Uh, I don't know if uh, this Festi, Abel Sally, uh, I think he's a midfielder. I don't know if he's attacking or more defensive, but uh, hopefully, hopefully attacking, I would say. Okay, well, let's move on to Greece, and uh, we'll begin with an overview, as usual, so their participation and achievements. Uh, Greece boasts a long history, having entered the World Cup in its second edition in 1934 and the Euro Cup from its beginnings in 1960. They withdrew from the 1934 World Cup and didn't enter in 1950, uh, but otherwise participated uh, consistently after 1954. Uh, similarly, they missed only one Euro Cup by withdrawing in 1964, but they have always entered otherwise. Uh, they've qualified for three World Cups in 1994 and then twice in a row in 2010 and 2014 during a strong period. 
Passing the group stage in 2014 is their best result, but it is dwarfed by the feat of an unexpected uh, winning of the 2004 Euro Cup. That was only their second qualification for that cup. Uh, reaching the following two editions means uh, that they have been in the Euro Cup finals four times, uh, twice passing the group stage. And let's go to a bit of a closer look at the World Cup. So Greece's participation was patchy until 1954, but uh, with the exception of a good campaign in 1970, they were a weak team. Their undefeated qualification that got them to the World Cup in 1994 was a surprise, foreshadowed only by a slightly more competitive campaign for Euro 1988. Their shock win of Euro 2000 of the Euro 2004 title was surrounded by two fourth place finishes in World Cup qualification. But the strong period which that initiated caught up in World Cup play with qualifications for the 2010 and 2014 World Cups. They passed the group stage of that tournament and reached a, a final playoff for the 2018 edition, but fortunes have since dwindled, uh, returning to a third place finish in 2022 qualifying, a third or fourth really being their standard finish. Right, okay, and uh, an overview of the World Cup uh, before the deep dive? Of the Euro Cup, yeah. Oh, sorry, yes. So unlike World Cup qualification, Greece came close to reaching uh, early Euro Cups, coming second in their group three times and actually reaching the Cup in 1980. The 1990s saw fairly competitive campaigns, but third place finishes. Their 2004 campaign started with two losses, but they won all games after that and not only finished first in the group, but went all the way to the final, astoundingly winning the Cup. Uh, they remained strong after that and reached the following two cups, passing the group stage again in 2012. But it ended abruptly in 2016, where uh, they were shocked again, this time finishing bottom of their group below even Faroe Islands. Ouch. 2020 saw them return to their standard finish of third place. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll take a look at that uh, qualification campaign in our deep dive here. So uh, we begin with the 1960 Euro Cup. Uh, that began inauspiciously with a 7-1 thrashing at the hands of France, although they did tie the second leg at home. Uh, 1964 was also a knockout qualification, but they actually withdrew from their scheduled games with Albania there. In 1968, uh, Greece returned to a group, uh, or sorry, they returned to a group qualification format. They were no match for first place USSR, but proved competitive with Austria, tied on points but finishing on second in second ahead of them. 1972 was not competitive though. They bested weak Malta to finish third in the group. Okay, well, 1976 was a bit of an odd campaign. Uh, their only loss was in Malta, but they twice tied group winners West Germany, and they bested Bulgaria in a competitive uh, second-place finish. Uh, this il illustrated an inconsistency in their play, uh, which is still part of their reputation. This was evident in 1980 when they lost 3 nothing in Finland in their opener, but later beat them 8-1 at home. They won all home games but earned only a single point on the road. Surprisingly, this was enough to finish top of a tight group to earn passage to their first cup, made easier by the tournament expanding to eight teams that year. All right, well, 1984 was also inconsistent in that they did better on the road than at home. 
Greece finished third behind Denmark and England, who did not qualify. England didn't qualify uh, uh, for that one. Uh, 1988 was more promising. Uh, competitive until losing their last two games and finishing second behind Netherlands. Uh, Netherlands also won their 1992 group, but Greece was less competitive in that campaign uh, and finished third behind Portugal, uh, tying the troublesome Malta once again. 1996 saw the Cup expanding to 16 teams, with the top two finishers advancing directly to the Cup. Despite consistent wins over the three weaker teams, they lost all games to Russia and Scotland, who both advanced. 2000 also saw them finish third behind Norway and Slovenia, uh, but at strong periods in, the, in uh, those teams' history. Yeah. All right. Well, 2004 was the year uh, they not only reached the Cup, but won it. Uh, qualification began, though, with, uh, two, with uh, losses to Spain at home and to Ukraine away. But after that, they won all games. Uh, that included becoming one of only two teams to ever win a qualifying game in Spain. And actually, uh, that win in Spain was the last time Spain have uh, lost at home. Uh, that strength continued uh, into 2008, um, where over the course of 12, game, 12 games, they only dropped... a. Uh, points in a home loss to Turkey and an away draw in Norway. So they won that seven point, uh, uh, they won that uh, 17 group uh, with a big seven point gap uh, above second place. Their consistency in qualifying carried into 2012, where they went undefeated in the campaign, finishing first ahead of Croatia, who they bested. However, an excellent period which had seen them reaching the finals of four tournaments in a row came to a crashing halt with a shocking campaign in 2016. It was a last place finish behind Faroe Islands, who beat them twice. This whole period, the successful and the failure, took part in the midst of a decade-long financial crisis in the country. Right. And, uh, well, we won't overview 2020, but instead take a close look at it. So, uh, 2020 Euro Cup. So Greece finished third in qualifying um, behind Finland, um, with whom they exchanged home wins. Um, Italy won the group. But Greece were ahead of Bosnia and Herzegovina, who they bested. Uh, they exchanged home losses with fifth place Armenia and tied at home to Liechtenstein and were in fifth place before winning their last three games. Um, and they were no matches for uh, Italy, who were group winners, as I mentioned. Yeah, that's right. Italy uh, won all of their games there. Okay, how did they do in the 2022 World Cup? Uh, they tied winners, uh, group winner Spain away in their opener um, and beat second place Sweden at home, but they tied last place Kosovo twice. Those ties and inconsistency too much for them to be uh, competitive. Um, and Greece finished third in the five-team qualifying group. Yeah, five points behind Sweden, so not uh, really close there. Okay, well, let's see if they did any better in the 2022-23 UEFA Nations League. They were in uh, League C there. Yeah, they were in League C group with uh, Kosovo, Northern Ireland, and Cyprus. And uh, Greece won actually five of their six games. The only blip was a 1-0 loss in Cyprus. Um, so um, that record uh, puts them... Um, 
top of the group and uh, promoted to League B for the next edition. Yeah, a pretty clear win there, seven-point gap between them and uh, second place. And let's move on to uh, look at their players then. Uh, Greece has a couple of names uh, playing for top clubs. Uh, Odysseus uh, Viachodimos is starting uh, is a starting goalkeeper for Benfica in Portugal, and defender uh, Costa Simakas uh, is making inroads at Liverpool. Uh, most of the players are with respectable second-tier teams like Stuttgart, uh, Trabzonspor, Bologna, and um, of course the top Greek teams, Olympiakos and AK Athens. Uh, the starters for the team are on the older side. Most of them are over 25, and the majority of them are reaching their 30s, uh, though many of the strikers are in their early 20s. So they don't have a lot of youth coming into the team, although the top prospect, uh, 21-year-old Sortiris uh, Alexandropoulos, uh, is playing for Sporting Lisbon. Okay, and uh, now we move on to our last team, uh, Gibraltar. They played their first international game in 2013, and so don't have a lot of history to look at, but we will uh, start with their participation and achievements. So Gibraltar played their first international game, as we said, in 2013, and entered the Euro Cup in 2016 and the World Cup in 2018. Those were their uh, first entries into the competition, and they've been participating consistently since. So Gibraltar sadly has never earned a point, losing all games in all campaigns. Uh, thus, their relative strength can only be judged really by their goals record, especially looking at their goals against uh, from campaign to campaign. Although, you know, uh, that is a bit flawed because it depends on the strength of their teams in their group. Uh, for example, their worst campaign in 2016 was uh, where they allowed 56 goals over 10 games. Uh, so that is a goal average of 5.6 goals against per game. Uh, but that arguably was their toughest group. Nevertheless, the goals uh, against record does shed some light and shows a trend of slight improvement over the four campaigns, with their goals record uh, improving from that 5.6 in 2016 to 4.7 in 2018, 3.9 in 2020, and then a slight regression to 4.3 in 2022. Okay, let's take a bit of a closer look at the World Cup uh, World Cup there. So 2018 was their first World Cup campaign and their second qualifying campaign. Uh, they finished last behind Estonia and Cyprus, who each earned 10 points or more. In 2022, it was behind Montenegro, um, who had 12 points, and Latvia who finished with nine. These points suggest uh, that beyond the six points um, those teams earned off Gibraltar, uh, they were somewhat competitive with each other um, or the teams above them. Um, Gibraltar's goals record improved from two to four and goals against from 4.7 per game to 4.3. Okay, well, yeah, not a lot of information for a, a team that loses all their games, but let's look at the World Cup, uh, sorry, the Euro Cup next. So Gibraltar lost all games in their 2016 and 2020 campaigns. Um, in both cases, they finished behind Georgia, uh, with Ireland also in their group, uh, Georgia earning nine and eight points respectively. Goals improved from two to three, 
while goals against went from 5.6 to 3.9. Right. So, yeah, they haven't really met a team that they, they could potentially take points off. As we saw, uh, Georgia and then those teams in the World Cup are more vying for the middle of the table than struggling at the bottom. But um, they'd be hoping to kind of meet a team that they can uh, challenge for a draw, perhaps. Uh, but let's look at the Euro Cup uh, qualifying in, in detail. So uh, more, than, um, more than settling their own records in 2016, like uh, Lee Casciano uh, scoring their first ever goal in a qualifying campaign, it was other teams setting records against them. So Ireland's Robbie Keane scored a hat-trick in 12 minutes against them, and Scotland's Stephen Fletcher earned Scotland's second-ever hat-trick in qualifying, and then in the return leg uh, earned Scotland's third-ever hat-trick. So their mildest loss in this campaign was a 0-3 draw, uh, sorry, a 0-3 loss at home to Georgia. Uh, three other games were losses by four goals margins, and all other six games were more severe losses than that. So their goals record was 2-4 two, uh, two, and 56 against. Bit of a baptism of fi uh, fire into European qualifying there, but as we pointed out before, a fairly tough group. Uh, that was won by Germany uh, with Poland in second place. Uh, 2020 also grouped them with Ireland, who they meet for a third time here, um, and Georgia, but they had easier top teams in Switzerland and Denmark. They started the campaign with a competitive 1-0 loss in Ireland, um, and lost, or sorry, that was at home to Ireland. Um, uh, at home to Ireland, yeah. Yeah, and they lost by no more than three goals over their first three games. A 2-3 loss at home in Georgia was also competitive and their best result. In three games, six goals were scored against them, um, but that was uh, better than 2016. Uh, the result was a goals record of 3-4 and 31 against for a much improved goals against of 3.9. Right, and uh, that actually uh, brought us into their recent history with the uh, 2020 Euro Cup campaign. So we'll carry on with that uh, by looking at the uh, 2022 World Cup, but we are going to... Uh, uh, not just talk about their UEFA Nations League uh, most recent campaign, but just because we don't have a lot to talk about with them, we'll look over their UEFA Nations League kind of history. But let's take a World Cup uh, 2022 uh, look first. So as we know, they lost all games and finished last in the qualifying group uh, behind Montenegro and Latvia. But unlike the previous two campaigns, there were no real competitive results. Uh, with losses of only one goal margins, for example, and their goal against average took a step back from 3.9 uh, in 2020 to 4.3 here. Right, yeah, okay. Uh, so let's take a look at the 2022 UEFA Nations League, but we'll go back to look at the first edition of the league in 2018 and 2019, which actually saw them earn their first points in Europe. Uh, with a win in Armenia and a home win over Liechtenstein, uh, who they finished ahead of in third place. So they remained in League D, uh, but were very lucky in their grouping, uh, even at the League D level, uh, they were grouped with San Marino and Liechtenstein. So the other Group D had far more competitive teams, actually, but Gibraltar took advantage of that luck 
and they bested each of those teams to earn promotion to League C for 2022-23. So uh, let's see how they did in uh, League C, if you want to take us through that, Connor. Yeah, so League C grouped them with um, Georgia, Bulgaria, and North Macedonia. Um, Gibraltar lost all games save for a 1-1 home draw with Bulgaria, but they did have a couple other competitive games, such as a, a 2-1 home loss uh, to Georgia. Um, so they did get relegated back to League D. But to be honest, that, that may be better for them and perhaps better for the neutral observer like us who can actually see them playing teams of similar strength. Yeah. Nevertheless, you know, in the Nations League, a couple of good uh, results there against Bulgaria and Armenia, particularly. I think Armenia was in League B uh uh recently weren't they yeah i think you're right on that yeah anyway okay so uh that is it for gibraltar except for a quick look at their players um and most players are stationed in gibraltar with a handful playing for minor teams uh, in england 18 year old uh, nicholas poza is with cadiz in spain and that seems to be their biggest club affiliation uh, but I'm thinking they will perhaps run a scrape for players with some connections to the country, uh, as Caribbean teams have done, to unearth a gem or two. Um, that means they basically kind of look through the, the passports of all the players involved in soccer and try to find some connection to Gibraltar. Uh, but as it is, the lack of pedigree kind of explains uh, their limited competitiveness. Okay, well, let's move on to uh, part three. Let's begin with the rankings. Sure. So I'll, I will say that um, the seeding or the for the pots for this tournament were determined based on Nations League play. Um, so Netherlands were the pot one team. They're currently sixth in the world according to the FIFA rankings and third according to ELO. Uh, this represents actually a sharp rise from December 2017 when they were uh, or June 2017, when they were 32nd in FIFA and 17 at ELO, wow. um, that following a couple of their non-qualifications. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. I, I was actually focusing on uh, France being a pot two team here, and of course that is because of their uh, poor result in the 2022-23 uh, UEFA Nations League. But it, it is a bit odd for a team that's been in the final of the last two World Cups to be the pop two team here. Yeah, it is a bit odd because France were our are, are third according to both systems, both FIFA and ELO. Um, so, you know, they have a higher FIFA ranking than Netherlands, but are the pot two team. Um, and France have basically been second, third or fourth in both systems since December 2018, since that World Cup four years ago. So mm -hmm. definitely odd for them to be a pot two team, but how it is. Yeah. Uh, but they uh, are Ireland. up and down because uh, in the uh, December 2015, they were 25th in uh, FIFA, although they were 8th in uh, ELO ranking. So, again, kind of uh, illustrating the difference between both systems there. Yeah. Ireland were the, are the pot 3 team. They're um, 48th in FIFA, 47th in ELO, so pretty consistent. Um, and... We mentioned some of the poor results Ireland have had, losses to Armenia and Luxembourg. So they've actually fallen um, from kind of the, the 30s where they sat for much of the middle part of the, the 2010s. 
Yeah, they, they're up and down uh, quite a bit. Uh, 70th in FIFA rankings in June 2014, but uh, not that low in ELO. Yeah. Greece are very near Ireland. They're 51st in FIFA, so just behind them, but just ahead of them in ELO at 43rd. Um, Greece have also shown a bit of fluctuation with their, their inconsistent form. Um, they were as high as 12th in the world in June 2014. Um, and 10th in ELO, but that said, they've been in the 40s or 50s for, for most of the past uh, several years. Yeah, that uh, slight discrepancy between FIFA and ELO uh, should, uh, well, I guess it promises an interesting battle between the two. Yeah. And then finally, Gibraltar, um, they're 200th uh, in FIFA and 182nd in ELO. Um, and that's more or less where they've been. It's actually a, a slight drop. Um, from the, the heady days of 194th uh, in December 2018 and 175th in ELO, um, those are basically their highest ever rankings. Yeah, yeah. Well, slipping below 200 is uh, um, a bit of a disgrace, but uh, we will see how they do. Let's take a look at the head-to-head -head records here. So, Connor, I'm thinking if you just kind of tell us what the actual record is and if there's anything... Uh, the, to point out in terms of uh, recent meetings or something, I can do that. Yeah, so we'll start with Netherlands against uh, some of the other teams. So Netherlands have a winning record against Ireland, six wins, three draws, and just two losses. Right, the last time they met was in 2002 World Cup qualifications where Ireland actually knocked them out. Yeah, good for them. Uh, Netherlands have a winning uh, record against Greece, four wins, a draw, and zero losses. Yeah, last meeting there was in 1992, so not that relevant. And then Netherlands and Gibraltar have met twice before. Um, those are both wins for the Netherlands. Yeah, and that was actually in 2022 World Cup qualifying, so quite recent. Uh, big wins for Netherlands uh, in both legs. Uh, France versus the Netherlands, they've met uh, just seven times in uh, World Cup and Euro Cup play. Um, France has a has four wins in Netherlands three, so a pretty even even record. Yeah, yeah, they met in uh, 2018 last, and France won both legs there. Uh, France and Ireland have met a lot more times. Uh, France has a record of seven wins, three draws, and three defeats. Are oh, you traumatizing me, Connor? Uh, 2010 World Cup, where France actually got through uh, the playoff, but uh, due to a famous handball by. Thierry Henry. Yeah, that's right. But actually, their last meeting was in the 2016 Euro Cup round of 16. So uh, France was at home uh, in that tournament, and they won 2-1. So they have met since. Yeah. Uh, France and Greece have played three times, and it's a win and a draw apiece. One, a 1-1-1 one, one, and one record. Right. And the last meeting there was in the 2004 uh, Euro Cup quarterfinal, which uh, Greece won. Yeah. Uh, France have never met Gibraltar. Um, moving on to Ireland, Ireland have never met Greece, um, which is interesting, but Ireland have met Gibraltar actually four times um, and won all four of those games. Yeah, they were grouped in uh, uh, 2016, 2020, and now 2024 Euro Cup qualifying, so regular meetings there. Yeah, Gibraltar yet to score against Ireland. Maybe they'll do that here. 
Yeah, but it was uh, just one nothing and two nothing in the 2020 campaign, which uh, holds out a bit of hope for Gibraltar there. Yeah, certainly. Um, and then Greece have met Gibraltar twice. Uh, both of those were wins for Greece. Right, and that was in the 2018 uh, World Cup qualifying campaign. All right, nice. Uh, let's move on to the uh, the odds of each team, but we're going to begin by looking at where exactly in the pots uh, they came from. So sometimes that's uh, significant. Yeah, so Netherlands were actually ranked number one overall because they had the best record among uh, Nations League A teams. So that's landed them as kind of the first overall seed. Um, and France are the highest seed from pot two. So you think those two teams perhaps a bit unlucky to be playing each other. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps more unlucky for the teams below them. Ireland were drawn from the middle of pot three. Uh, Greece were the second of the 10 teams in pot four, and then Gibraltar, um, surprisingly, kind of near the middle of pot five, um, ahead of Estonia, Latvia, Moldova, and Malta. Yeah, well, that's got to make this one of the toughest groups with uh, the, the first pot one team, the first pot two team, and then second place in pot four. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. It should be uh, a tough group for sure. Right, well, let's see what the odds makers say in terms of uh, winning the group. I'm just going to simplify the graphic while you start talking there. Yeah, so France actually are given um, a 79% chance of winning the group. That compared to 27% for Netherlands. Um, are you surprised to see such a discrepancy there? Yeah, let's begin our discussion in the next uh, section with that. That's, uh, that is very interesting. Sure. And then in terms of odds, uh, Greece, the pot four team, are actually favored over Ireland. Greece with 3.7% chance. Um, Ireland with 1.6% chance of winning the group. Um, and then finally, Gibraltar have a 0.1% chance of winning the group, but that may be generous. Yeah, yeah, even a thousand to one is generous. But, uh, you know, even though uh, Ireland and Greece have very low odds of winning the group, it's interesting to compare the relative difference between them. Basically, Greece given twice, uh, more than twice the chance that uh, that Ireland is. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe a good uh, place to open the discussion. So do you want to uh, address that uh, huge difference between France and Netherlands? Yeah, I, I'm surprised it's it's that the odds makers are, um, are are favoring France so much. Again, this is just odds to uh, to win the groups. Um, I mean, I see the group as really there's there's kind of two top teams, two middle teams, and then you have Gibraltar. Um, I I don't see a lot of kind of movement between those bands, but within the top two bands, it should be competitive. I think Netherlands and France will actually be perhaps more competitive than the odds suggest. Yeah, I got to agree with you there. I think um, I, I, I may give France the edge. I wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, with slightly higher odds than the Netherlands, but this is like three times the chance. Uh, I don't think so. There are a couple of strikes against France. Uh, we saw with the 2022-23 uh, UEFA Nations League that France can definitely put in some poor campaigns, and we saw that uh, over their longer history too. Uh, another factor, too, is that um, uh, they've often done poorly. If you think they won uh, the World Cup in 1998 and then their disastrous 2002 World Cup campaign, and then the same thing happened in 2010 after finishing second in um, 2014, let's say, oh, sorry, 20, uh, 2006. 
And uh, kind of the same thing happened in their Euro success is that they came in with a weak campaign after. That didn't happen after the 2018 World Cup win, but um, do you see uh, that 2022-23 Nations League campaign as kind of a, a sigh after winning and, and maybe not having the motivation to, to repeat? But potentially, I, I think it's um, it's interesting. I, I I mean, obviously, France and Netherlands both did extremely well in the World Cup, getting both to the semifinals. Um, but com- on their, their form before that, going into the World Cup, Netherlands had a, the significant edge. You know, they were the most dominant League A Nations League team, whereas France, only they, they only won one of six games. So I think that's consistent with what we described in France being a bit more volatile and as you mentioned the upset at the outset perhaps a bit unpredictable I mean I think you could maybe explain one or two losses for France as being you know perhaps letting their guard down but it was a really poor campaign in the Nations League you know over six games yeah almost demoted to uh almost demoted to League B um on the other hand you know Netherlands is uh, well capable of poor campaigns as we saw failing to qualify for a couple of World Cups recently and stuff. So, uh, what do you think of them? Do you think they can be consistent enough to to beat France here? I think they certainly can challenge France on a game level. Um, I think both teams will actually be fairly consistent among the teams below them. So, I think the the matches against each other could be the decisive ones. So, I don't put it out as a question. I probably favor France a little bit. Um, but you know, the Netherlands are coming off a couple good performances and good results, and they seem to be you know, to be gelling well and kind of have found a, a formula after kind of a, a, a rough patch um, over, you know, a couple tournaments in the 2010s. Yeah, um, there's a bit of a recency bias here. I tend to look at the longer view. So I see uh, France and Netherlands both kind of capable of a very inconsistent campaigns. Netherlands particularly tend to be great or very poor so uh one or the other a lot of it kind of coming down to the to the team dynamic i don't know if you can check but is louis van hal still uh in charge there um i will check and i will get back to you and um no it's ronald Koeman now okay so i don't know how it's going to be like under frank de boer there was a lot of grumbling and stuff and uh, they didn't do that well so uh, they're, they're, they're kind of open to that. France is not as consistent as some other top teams like uh, Spain. And while well, England had a poor uh, Euro camp or UEFA Nations League campaign too, but, you know, um, they're very consistent in qualifying. I'm not sure Netherlands and France will be as consistent. So I said in the hook uh, at the beginning of the podcast that inconsistency may be a big factor in this. I actually do think uh, there may be room for a surprise uh, Ireland or Greece to challenge. But yeah, I kind of agree with you on the whole that it's unlikely, but I think the door is ajar there. How do you see Ireland and Greece doing in this campaign? Uh, I gotta say I favor Greece over Ireland a little bit, maybe not uh, uh, as much as the odds do, uh, but um, uh, both of them actually have some some promising players that may make a difference, and both of them have had campaigns in their history uh, that where they've taken big teams by surprise and and knocked them out. We saw Ireland in uh, 
in um, 2002, knocking out the Netherlands, almost knocking out France in 2010. And we've seen Greece have some good campaigns. Some of their campaigns more recently have uh, really, um, even though they're third place finishes, they have been kind of challenging. <laughs> So I don't think they're teams that uh, that we can write off too easily. How about you? Yeah, I, I do see Ireland as being in a bit of a weak point in their history. They have a couple promising young players, but they're not, I don't think, players that are going to um, completely change the dynamic, including, you know, striker Ferguson. You know, I think Euro 2020 campaign in qualifying um, was poor. Um, World Cup 2022 was pretty poor, except for a couple couple wins um, at the end. But they didn't actually win a home game in that campaign, and then they kind of struggled to be competitive in the Nations League as well. So I, I see I see Ireland and Greece as very similar as as the world rankings do. But I see Ireland probably in a bit of a slump that I I don't see signs that they're out of that yet. Whereas for Greece, um, kind of in contrast, they actually finished their last World Cup qualification you know, with a couple of good results and then have done well in Nations League. So I see Greece is on a bit of an up and and kind of giving that recent recent momentum. I, I favor Greece a little bit as, as you do. Yeah, I hate to agree with you there, but uh, I, I do. I think uh, I do favor Greece. Uh, do you agree with the odds, though, that Greece are kind of twice as likely? Um, I, I probably do, to be honest. Um, I mean, both on a, you know, a small scale, I think. Probably the theme I take take away more is that well maybe these teams have been capable of surprises in the past I don't really see it this time um, so I kind of take their small odds to challenge France and Netherlands the inconsistency kind of among all four teams I think is a theme and, and does open the door but I just feel like Ireland and Greece are just in a bit weak periods right now and don't really see the the surprise coming. Right. Uh, how about Gibraltar? Do you think they can uh, get a tie, maybe play a bit of a spoiler here? Um, it's possible for sure. Um, you know, Greece um, have, have have played, you know, finishing, losing two games to Faroe Islands in recent memory shows they're susceptible, as are Ireland. Um, narrow wins against Gibraltar previously, but, you know, losses to Luxembourg and they've even struggled against a team like Andorra. Um, so, I, I almost worry if Ireland and Greece are perhaps more susceptible to an upset from below than above. Um, I mean, on the whole, I think given Gibraltar's history, I wouldn't, you know, predict them necessarily to get a point, but not out of the question. Yeah, they are getting uh, slightly better. I feel the same as you, that they're likely to uh, lose all games here. But uh, it would be nice to see them uh, play a role, hopefully not against Ireland, though. Yeah. Okay, well, shall we move on to uh, looking at the uh, actual games that have been played so far? Yeah, I've uh, shielded yeah. myself from uh, knowing these results, uh, so it becomes a, a little bit of a game uh, predicting. All right, so let's start with the first one. France-Netherlands, a, a heavy-hitting match to start off with. Yeah, that's a, a really good start. And uh, again, France not as consistent at home as uh, some of the big teams are, like Spain. Uh, so I think it's possible that they'll give up points here. And Netherlands is a bit of a black box to me. You never know if they're going to play well or not. So I'm prepared for anything, but I think 2-1 uh, France here. France were victorious and uh, they got off to a good start both in the campaign and the game. They scored, they were up 2 nothing after 10 minutes. 
how that game finished four nothing to France. Ooh. So a statement win. A convincing win there. Okay, well Gibraltar and Greece. I guess this would be uh, maybe Gibraltar's uh, one of their best chances at a result here, but I don't see it happening. I'm going to go two nothing Greece. Yeah, three nothing Greece was the final. Um, so yeah, not the yeah. surprise Gibraltar were hoping for. A reasonably respectful scoreline for Gibraltar yeah. there. And uh, we move on to the second set of games in March. That's Netherlands and Gibraltar. And uh, wow, I don't see Netherlands a team uh, as a team that would put on the brakes after going up five or six nothing. So I'm going to say eight nothing Netherlands. I, I will note that Gibraltar entered the game ahead of the Netherlands in the standings on goal difference. <laughs> um, but that situation was quickly reversed. Three nothing was the final. Ooh. So um, again, respectable for Gibraltar, certainly away from home. Yeah, you bet. Okay, and Ireland and France, a bit of a grudge match there. Um, I would love to see Ireland get revenge for that 2010 uh, campaign. Um, and I think Ireland will be good defensively, but don't offer that much going forward. If they get a goal, I'll be happy. I think I'm going to say one nothing France, though. That was exactly the result. one nothing France. Well done there. Oh, Okay. Um, I will say that the game mostly played out as you as you expected. Ireland were good defensively, offered very little, but it did take a stunning save from France's goalkeeper um, with, I think, two minutes from time off a corner. Um, so Ireland came very close to uh, a bit of a smash-and-grab draw there. Wow. Um, but uh, France, France held on. And that would have been uh, one of their new goalkeepers. Do you know who it was? I believe, actually, it was Mandanda in net, though I could be wrong. Oh, okay. Well, uh, the list says he's retired, but uh, we maybe uh, have to take a, a look as the information uh, is not always reliable. Okay, well, we'll take a quick look at the June games coming up uh, and make predictions. Here, you can make a prediction, too. Uh, Gibraltar uh, at home to France. I don't think home advantage is quite enough to make a difference here. Um, I'm going to say France 6-0. Okay. Uh, I think Gibraltar have been keeping respectable scores, so I'm going to bring it down to 4 nothing there. And uh, then a very important game in that battle for probably third place, uh, Greece versus Ireland. Um, I would say Ireland's uh, draw against France will, will give them a bit of encouragement. Um, I expect a low-scoring affair. I'm going to say Ireland hold on for a nil-nil draw. Right. They didn't draw against France, though. I thought they lost. They they did lose, but it was a good, good, oh, okay. yeah, good result, I guess, good even in a one nothing yeah. defeat. Yeah, uh, I think away from home, um, it'll be a little bit tougher. So uh, Greece, all through that Euro 2004 campaign, it was one nothing all the way. Uh, I think that's what it's going to be here too. Greece one nothing. All right. Okay, well, we have to see if we're right about that, but that does bring us to the end of the uh, podcast. So good talking to you, Connor. Yeah, thanks so much. I'll see you for, uh, for the next one, Group C. All right, see you next time. All right, we'll finish the podcast today with a look back on what we have covered until now, with a particular focus on which media casts are still relevant. Uh, following that, no, wait. Prior to that, 
we're going to look at what is upcoming over the rest of the year because I think that uh, may be of more interest. So uh, we'll put a graphic up with all of this information, both uh, past, current and present, on the YouTube version. And we'll also include it in the show notes. So um, let's take a look at upcoming series. So right now we're on series 14. And I'll give a bit more information about that too. But series 15 will be a shorter version of series 14, the uh, 2024 Euro qualifying series. So rather than the detailed history, uh, it'll have a short summary of each team in the group and a section on their recent form. So from there, uh, part three of series 14, uh, will be the same in both the short and long series. That's a comparison of teams through rankings, odds and head-to-head records, as well as Kevin O'Connor's discussion and ending with a review of the first two sets of games that were played in March 2023. Uh, after this uh, Euro 2024 qualifying, 16 and 17, series 16 and 17, will be a preview of the 2023 Gold Cup uh, that tournament is set to start on June 24th, 2023. So we plan to put out uh, those podcasts or those media casts in late May or early June. So Series 16 will focus on the groups and teams and Series 17 will focus on the players of each team. Uh, qualification is actually taking place through the CONCACAF uh, Nations League currently. Uh, but we don't intend to do a series on qualification for the CONCACAF Gold Cup there. Uh, during the summer, we are planning a series on uh, CONMEBOL, that's uh, South American World Cup 2026 qualifying. That begins in September 2023. Uh, we also may get an early start on Asian Cup 2023, uh, although that's due to start uh, later in January 2024. Uh, in the fall, we're going to preview the early rounds of AFC World Cup 2026 qualifying. Uh, that'll take place in October and November, so we'll do it uh, prior to that. And this will actually give us a first look at some of the weaker teams in the Asian region, which we haven't covered uh, yet. Uh, also, we will preview the 2023 African Cup. Uh, it is called that, even though it's due to start in January 2024. So those are the upcoming series, and now let's take a look at our current series, so the current media cast. We call it a media cast because it's available with visuals on YouTube, and it's available as a podcast, uh, and you can find it on most podcast catchers or on our website at soccerfiles.captivate.fm. We'll also put up a graphic uh, uh, with that on it. Um, so the current series is Series 14, and that's a preview of the groups in Euro 2024 qualifying. And this gives us a chance to get to know teams that we, uh, don't often make it to the tournaments. So it features a deep dive into the Euro Cup qualifying histories of the team. And uh, we started actually after the first round of games in March 2023 to make it a bit more interesting. So as uh, mentioned, we'll follow that with uh, Series 15. That's a shortened version of Euro 2024 qualifying because um, some members of the audience don't want such a deep dive. Now let's look back at our previous media cast series. I think it's still relevant to various degrees. And uh, 
well, they tend to be relevant uh, in reverse order. So we'll actually kind of go uh, backwards in time here. So series 10 to 13 were all based on the 2022 World Cup. Series 10 was an eight part uh, group by group preview of the 14 groups in the tournament. It featured a deep dive into the World Cup finals history of each team. Series 11 was a 32 part uh, team by team uh, preview of players in World Cup 2022. So we didn't know at the time which players would be selected. So we went through uh, the candidates for each position and gave information about them. So that'll still be relevant for a lot of the teams. Uh, series 12 actually featured uh, shortened versions of each of series 10 and 11. So a shorter version on the teams and on the players. And then th series 13 was a 25 part review or uh, update of the team by team uh, players podcast. And it was published after the teams had selected their squads for the finals. So it went through the candidates that we had discussed in series 11 and introduced any new players that made it to the final squad. Unfortunately, we unfortunately we ran out of time before finishing all 32 teams. And I particularly regret that in the case of Ghana, because they brought a lot of new players in that were not considered in our Series 11 preview uh, of the Ghana players. Anyway, these World Cup podcasts, especially the player ones, are still relevant because the squads haven't changed that much. Uh, we will be doing future player podcasts before each major tournament. So uh, going back before that, Series 9 is actually probably the most relevant. It was a 12-part preview of the uh, African Cup 2023 qualifying groups. Um, it's still called African Cup 2023. It was originally set to take place that year or this year, I should say, but now it's been moved to January 2024. Um, so qualification games were also postponed and uh, the qualification is still unfinished. So uh, as I said, that makes it uh, still quite relevant. Series 7 and 8 were both based on the 2021 African Cup, which took place in January 2022. Uh, that's good for a look at some of the smaller African teams who made it to the expanded cup. Uh, series 7 was a six-part overview of the teams in African Cup 2021, uh, or in 2022. It's confusing. <laughs> it's still called African Cup 2021, but it took place in in January 2022. Uh, while the overviews were repeated in Series 9, this did feature, uh, feature a deep dive into the African Cup Finals history of the participant. Um, okay, uh, Series 8 was a 24-part team-by-team uh, preview of the players for the African Cup. Uh, for the African teams that made the 2022 World Cup, uh, the player podcasts will be updated, uh, but for the smaller teams, they won't be. So for many teams, it remains the uh, most relevant. And uh, it has soccer information that doesn't seem to exist uh, in other media accounts, as far as I know. Okay, uh, I'm moving back before that. Series 4 and 6 uh, focused on the CONCACAF regions, specifically the 18 final round of qualifying for the 2022 World Cup. Um, series 4 was an eight-part look at each team and their players in the final round. 
and it featured a deep dive into each team's World Cup qualification history. It also had a team-by-team -team preview of the players uh, in CONCACAF there. Uh, it really should have been a separate series number, to be honest, but nevertheless, the current players on the squad were examined uh, for each of the eight teams. Uh, series 6 was a mid-round update of that CONCACAF uh, 2022 World Cup qualifying campaign. So uh, Series 4 and 6 kind of go together. Okay, Series 5, that's in between the two CONCACAF series, um, was a preview of the Asian uh, World Cup qualifying final round. So this was just a two-part series on each of the 16 groups that made it to the final round of World Cup qualifying in the Asian region. So this remains relevant for all Asian teams that didn't reach the World Cup, but for Iran, Japan, South Korea and Saudi Arabia as uh, Series 10 uh, in their World Cup um, introduction is more current. Series 3 was a four-part preview for the groups for Gold Cup 2021 in the CONCACAF region. And this remains relevant for some of the smaller teams in the tournament, but again, those who participated in the World Cup um, uh, were updated um, after that. Series 2 uh, was a two-part preview of the groups for Copa America 2021 in the South American region. So that, again, remains relevant for the smaller teams in the region, but the teams that made the World Cup were updated in Series 10. And our first series uh, was a preview of the 2020 Euro Cup played in 2021. Again, uh, teams that reached the 2022 World Cup were updated there. Um, and it, it did feature a deep dive into uh, Euro Cup finals history. So, um, uh, again, for the smaller teams that uh, we haven't covered since, it remains relevant. Okay, I think that brings us to the end. So, uh, keep your eye out for the graphics on the show notes or uh, on the YouTube. And I hope to join us for the upcoming series and uh, even go back and review some of the old series until we update them again. Bye-bye.